Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Forgive the interruption, but I believe this requires your attention. Meanwhile, at the above-ground underwater suborbital volcano lair... Sergeant, we need a response team. We're already putting together the best man. With all due respect, sir, so am I. I have a plan. <laughs> That's a plan. It's real! Mighty Marvel Geeks. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. Well then, son, you've got a condition. Your show about all things Marvel with Mike, Kylan, and Eric. What a bunch of losers. I am Groot. That I did know. These people may be isolated, unbalanced people, but I believe with the right push, they can be exactly what you need. Suit up. I'm bringing the party to you. I have indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready. And welcome to Mighty Marvel Geeks. It is the Intrepid Trio, Kylan, Eric, and Mike. And we're being joined by Senior Vice President Tom Brevoort from Marvel Comics. Eric, why don't you start us off? Oh, I'm so- okay. <laughs> that was unexpected. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Mr. Brevoort, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, certainly. My pleasure. Okay. Okay, so for uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Mr. Brevoort is uh, the Senior Vice President of Publishing for Marvel Comics. That, I did get that right, correct? You did indeed get that right, yes. Excellent, excellent. Uh, actually, uh, I'm looking over your, your profile, and uh, where you started for Marvel as a college intern in 1989. That is correct. And I, I was, a, uh, was an art major as well, and I understood the part about uh, doing intern. Uh, having to do intern places, but um, you seem to have a, a rather uh, okay. I enjoyed your response as to why you uh, you you took the internship. Uh, would you care to talk about that a little bit? Um, uh, sure, I, I can uh, I can go through that. Uh, you know, as you say, I went to the University of Delaware uh, studying illustration, uh, and the way the program worked is in your senior year, uh, you had to go out and do an internship that was some in some way, shape, or form. Uh, related to the the, the field, yeah, related to illustration, and uh, at orientation, the very first year, the dean of the college uh, came out, dean of the department, uh, you know, and explained the the program to us, and he said, you know, internships, we've had people that have gone and done internships here and internships there and whatnot. And we even had one guy who uh, interned at Marvel Comics. Uh, And I thought to myself, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do three years from now. Uh, And so three years later uh, rolled around. It was time to go line up an internship. But uh, I didn't just apply to Marvel. I sent uh, applications out to all of the then extant uh, companies. And I uh, I heard back relatively quickly. I got a response back uh, from from Marvel's internship program. uh, And I got no response response back from DC. Uh, but I, but I'm but I, but I'm 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 sure it's coming. Uh, every day I come back home and I go out to my mailbox and I have hope in my heart that today will be the day. And every day, you know, but tomorrow, I'm Friday tomorrow, it's 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 going to happen. I'm sure. You will get that internship on Batman. <laughs> I will. I will uh, one day I will intern at DC. <laughs> 
kind of kind of sounds like my yeah. story with Disney. I I put in an application for Walt Disney World. Didn't hear anything. Uh, the school I went to, uh, they helped me get an interview with Disney. Got a job six months later in the mail. Thank you for your application. Uh, at this time, we don't have any positions open for you. <laughs> So do I still have a job or no? <laughs> so I take it then that uh, the the art department at the at the College of Delaware was or University of Delaware. I am so yeah. sorry, uh, University of Delaware. It, it really they didn't have an issue with comic books as an art form. They didn't uh, they didn't kind of look down on it as. Um, pedestrian or not, not or, per not per se i mean i don't know that they were completely universally embracing of comic books as an art form in 1989 um i had instructors who were at least interested in the idea of the form and particularly the high end of the form in those days which basically boiled down to uh, you know bill sinkevich painted comics uh, and things of that nature um things that they could relate to uh, almost from a fine arts standpoint, rather than uh, you know the the rank and file pen and ink uh, you know latest issue of of Thor say um, that was that was during a time in the end of the eighties when you know comics were starting to uh, stretch their legs a little bit and you were beginning to see more comics that were uh, being aimed at an adult audience you know between uh, things like Ronan and Dark Knight uh, yeah. and uh, and the uh, the epic line at Marvel and any number of independent publishers who were trying to do things that were a little more sophisticated i think the first volume of mouse was out by then and uh so there were there were things that you could show them um that they would uh, you know relate to and react to like oh okay there is, this is actual illustration work and these were these were working illustrators. They were book illustrators, and uh, yeah, so they had some conception of a publishing world. This was a publishing house, so you know, doing an internship there, you know, was no different than doing an internship at any other publishing outfit. They just happened to publish comics, or one of the things they happened to publish uh, was comics, and it was still publishing experience. Okay. So, who were some of your uh, influences as you were like growing up and going through through art school? Um, you know, I, pretty much anybody that was really good in comics at that period, I like. Uh, I'm a big, you know, it all kind of begins and ends with me, for, with uh, with Jack Kirby. Um, I was a huge George Perez fan. I liked John Byrne. I liked Bernie Wrightson. I liked, um, you know, Frank Miller. I liked pretty much the the spectrum of people who were around uh, in the in the 80s. I I I, I liked and enjoyed. Um, you know, I was reading a lot of comics uh and i had a pretty broad base we had a good comic shop in in the area so uh you know all of the then independence of that era you know i could follow as well um uh, and it was uh you know so so i was kind of all over the place cool uh did you when you took your your internship did you like in the back of your mind think it's like man i hope i get thor or or i get to work <laughs> on x-men or no not really and in fact um you know my, i have i have i have or had a bunch of art skills you know but i haven't used them with any regularity over the past 30 years and consequently they've gone completely to hell um because if you don't if you don't do it if you know you kind of lose that muscle memory uh and you're just not as facile at it as as you once were so i still every once in a while the hero initiative will do one of their 
a uh, hundred covers for charity and they'll send me a cover and I'll, I'll doodle something on it. Um, but I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not as good as I once was. And even when I was at my best, I was not good enough to be in this business. Um, and in fact, the first week I was an intern at Marvel, one of the things that it had accrued there is um, the, the slush pile, the submissions pile uh, had, had uh, not been dealt with in probably about 18 months. Uh, and so I spent a good part of my first week at Marvel going through these unsolicited submissions and sending out form letter rejections uh, and, and, you know, skimming off the top, you know, zero, zero, one point percentage that was worth anybody at Marvel looking at to send around. Uh, and in fact, I found my own inking samples in that stack. <laughs> I did. You not probably pass- saw mine too, but Maybe. we won't did, go there. I did not pass them on to anybody. I went, nope. <laughs> I'm, I am, I am, I am not, uh, I am not there yet. All right. So, all right. So after, well, I guess after your internship, like, did you, did you seriously consider that you would get to work at Marvel? Or like, was it after the internship? They're like, Hey, come on, stay with us. So what was that like? Well, I, uh, you know, I interned for, for three months, June, July, August, and I interned, uh, across three offices, um, which wasn't really typical in those days, but I did it because that was just the way it happened to be set up. So I worked in three different offices uh, over the course of the week, five days a week. And then on the weekend, I would work a crummy fast food job to bring in enough money <laughs> to make sure I could buy a train ticket to get into the city, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, for those couple of months. And I depleted whatever savings I had over the course of those three months uh, to be able to make that all work. Um, and, and, you know, speaking with, with, you know, no, uh, no chest thumping or no hyperbole. I was a really good intern. Uh, I was, I was at the top of the game when it comes to internship. And, you know, some would say, and not unjustly, that that is where I peaked. Uh, that was the, (laughs) that was the, that was the, the scale of my talent. But so by the time I got to the end of the three months, there were people at Marvel who knew me and wanted to get me on staff. Um, you know, a number of people who I work with, Bob Budiansky, who ultimately became my first boss at Marvel. I was interning with Bob, uh, Greg Wright, who was also also an editor at Marvel and who I did a lot of work with. Um, you know, there were uh, Dwayne McDuffie who was up there. Um, so there were people who uh, knew who I was and were, were kind of looking for an opportunity, uh, you know, for if a position opened up to say, hey, you should talk to this guy. Uh, he's pretty good. Uh, and so I went back home after the internship and I spent about three months, you know, finishing up college stuff and working another, you know, continuing to work crummy jobs and whatnot and lamenting not have being there again. And about two months later, uh, I got a call and there was a, a position they wanted me to come up to, to interview for uh, in in uh, Danny Fingeroth's office. Danny was was editing the Spider-Man books. Uh, and so I drove from Delaware back up to New York in my uh, uh, ill-fitted suit uh, to do this interview and I walked in and Danny was like you know, you didn't have to wear that. Like, I know who you are. And I was like, this is an interview. You wear a suit to an interview. This is what I do. Um, and so we talked for a while and he had this opening and he wanted to offer me the job. Uh, and so I was up at the offices and I walked down the hall uh, to visit the people I, I knew up there. I had seen for two months and I stopped by to uh, Bob Bidiansky's office uh, and said, hey, you know, I talked to Danny. It looks like this thing is all going to work out. Uh, and Bob kind of thought for a second and he said, you know, I think in like like a couple of weeks, 
there's probably going to be a position opening up in this area. Uh, would, <laughs> would you would you would you rather work over here? And I kind of thought to myself, well, on the one hand, it's Danny, and it's like Spider-Man books, and Spider-Man books are a big deal. On the other hand, uh, and this was in you know, Bob ran uh, what was then called Special Projects, which did comics, but also did like everything else, which included uh, the Marvel press posters, uh, all the licensing art. We worked on toys. We worked on anything that would that had uh, any Marvel product uh, and eventually the Marvel trading cards and uh, they did a lot of movie adaptations and things. So it was much more, you know, off to the side publishing. Um, but I knew the people there. Uh, and so I said, yeah, OK, that, that'll be good. And Bob got this really gleeful look in his eye and he said, OK, let's go down the hall now and tell Danny. And he was, <laughs> and he was very excited <laughs> to to uh, to be able to snipe me out from under <laughs> under the auspices uh, of Danny Fingeroth, who was who was never, I have to say, uh, uh, never, never less than kind to me. Um, but that was it. So at the end of that year, uh, you know, December, end of December, 1989, uh, I moved up to New York and I started working at Marvel. Wow. <laughs> so do you remember what your first assignment was? Well, it's it's and every every office did a lot of different things. So uh, you know, I could talk about things that I worked on. I couldn't tell you what the literal first thing was because at any given point, you'd come in and there'd be twenty things going on. Um, ah. You know, so in that in that first year, and it's funny because I just got uh, the trade paperback of it today uh, in my comp bundle. Uh, uh, you know, a thing that nobody on earth ever figured we would ever reprint. Um, I have a trade paperback of the Brute Force Limited series, which I was oh. an assistant editor on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, so I did. I worked on that. I worked on Nightcat. I worked on NFL Super Pro. Uh, I worked on Deathlock. Uh, I worked on the movie adaptations for the unreleased Punisher movie from the 90s and the unreleased Captain America movie ad movie adaptation. Uh, I worked on Darkman movie adaptation. I worked on the, the short-lived Nightmare on Elm Street black and white magazine. Um, and then like a million posters uh, and, and a, a ton of, of licensed product. All of the earliest uh, Toy Biz action figures, I worked on all of those. I did three views for, for a bunch of them um, because the characters, a bunch of the characters, particularly the X-Force characters, were so new, there was no consistent three view. And uh, Rob Liefeld, you know, in drawing them, wouldn't draw them the same way from panel to panel. All the gear would be in different places. And so somebody had to sit down and figure out, okay, if you're going to make a Deadpool toy, where do the straps go? Where do the swords go? <laughs> and, you know, I sat down one day and, and you know, with the, with the, like uh, uh, a blank three view and drew the, <laughs> drew the Deadpool costume that they made that figure out of, um, you know, look, going through the two issues of the two appearances of Deadpool that had existed at that point and going back and forth going, okay, I think, I think the pouches go here based on this panel and this panel. And okay. And that, that's how it'll be on this toy. Uh, but yeah, I did, you know, Hulk bubble bath uh, bottles and and uh, you know, all 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 sorts of of licensed things. Anything that was licensed, uh, you know, we would approve and and uh, we would okay. We would send out art 
uh, you know, when you think of uh, you know, all those key images that you would see on all the licensing from back in the day, what I think of as lunchbox art, all those key poses, we had a file of all of those. And every once in a while, when things would slow down, you would go through, you know, the current stack of comics and go, oh, here's a good, you know, Todd McFarlane Spider-Man shot in this book. Let me pull the file for that and get it cleaned up, get the balloons and captions taken off of it so that when we need Spider-Man art for licensing to put on a T-shirt or to put on a, a a box or a hang tag for something. Here's a here's a you know a nice modern looking Spider Man. Um, so I did all kinds of stuff like that. What was one? Okay, of fav- so what was one of your favorite things that you did back in the early days uh, that did get put out to the public? Um, well, most of that stuff did get put out. Um, again, it's hard to say. I I like. I didn't have much to do with the with the 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 first half of it, but I like that uh, four issue bookshelf. Uh, Deathlock limited series, the launch of the, the 90s Deathlock. Uh, and I ended up editing the ongoing book after that. So I like that. Um, one of my first like hands-on jobs was uh, we did a uh, like a Marvel graphic novel that was an adaptation of the not-picked-up X-Men cartoon pilot from the 80s, Pride of the X-Men. Uh, yes, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I, you know, that project had been started before me, and it was just a big stack of stuff in a flat file. Uh, and at some point, uh, you know, somebody you know decided, oh, okay, we're going to actually put this out now. And I was the one who went through and, and assembled it and put it together and got it all done. And uh, the ironic part about that is my name is nowhere in that book um, <laughs> because the in that uh, during that time the policy was uh, assistant editors didn't get credit in the credits. You would get credited on like a letters page. You know, your letters page would say editor Bob Bodiansky, assistant editor Tom Brevoort. But a graphic novel like that wouldn't have a letters page. So the only credit there is editor Bob Budiansky, and I did a ton of work uh, on that. I remember we had um, just big stacks of all the original animation cells from that production. Like they'd sent over just mountains, reams of, and I still have because when the thing was all over, you know, a bunch of that stuff was just going to be discarded and whatnot. And Bob said, oh, you know, if you want to take a couple of these. So I've got something like 10 cells from that show, you know, just like good key shots of all the key X-Men characters from that. That is amazing. Wow. Uh, okay, so did you work? Uh, so you're in that department when um, the uh, when the the trading cards came out, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. So were you were you surprised at how? how big those those were oh oh for sure absolutely i mean that was when it was started um you know that was only going to be one set and it mm-hmm. was just a simple licensing deal we're going to do this we're going to try this we're going to do one set um and uh uh you know it turned out to be a huge and hugely successful uh program for for years and years uh, and we again we did tons of them i was doing three or four sets a year uh, at the at the height of it, um, and they were just like wildly popular, and everybody was, I think, a little surprised and 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 taken aback by just how uh, you know they really caught fire. And I think it was a combination of just the zeitgeist of the time and the fact that we put together some very nice sets with some great art, uh, and we're able to kind of distill a lot of uh, information down to the back of a trading card, so somebody could read. Mm-hmm those those things and uh, you know really get some understanding as to who the characters were uh buddha was very good at that uh because uh, he had uh, he was one of the main guys he wrote the transformers comic for years uh, and in fact uh created uh and by created i mean invented the names and backstories for 
m- many of the key Transformers characters. That uh, and so he had that uh, experience of uh, you know being able to kind of distill a character down to a little bio that would be on the back of your toy package. Uh, and so he had a really good understanding as to how to do that, how to make them uh, punchy and cool and fun uh, and engaging. And uh, you know, by extension, he taught me how to do that. Uh, and I wrote <laughs> I wrote a big chunk of of a lot of those trading cards, like those backs. Uh, you know, on a couple of sets, I wrote as many as a third of the set. Mm. Well, I I have it. I think I know I have the complete set of the first of the first series, right? Along with the, I believe there was a separate X Men series, wasn't there? Yes, I like I remember there, there was. was yeah. yeah, yeah, I had Jim, that. Yeah, Jim Lee did an X Men set, did the first X Men set mm-hmm. front to back. Yeah, I, I was I, a college student. I'm like, well, do do I be responsible and put this money towards books? Oh no, it's Marvel cards. I gotta buy them. <laughs> <laughs> I had the complete set of those, and I still regret selling them off but you know oh. it's like i needed to eat uh, that's <laughs> that's that. uh, that's understandable um it's a it's a it's a typical story all right so all right so what was i guess once you where what happened to your where did you go once you moved out of that department um well i didn't move out of that department per se um you know there have been a lot of ups and downs over the course of marvel history like different parts of marvel would get bigger and would get spun off into their own things like trading mm-hmm. cards became a big enough operation at a certain point that it kind of became its own thing and moved away out of what was special projects. All of the stuff that was really Bob and myself are today done by huge divisions of people because there's so much more of it. Uh, and mm-hmm. every time, you know, it would grow in the 90s, you would need to kind of like you know, spin things off and set it up. So in uh, 1990, I'm going to remember it as 1994. Four, but my my you know my dating could be off by a year or so. Um, uh, you know the the powers that be uh, decided to change up the editorial structure, and rather than having one editor in chief uh, in charge of the whole uh, editorial division, they decided to split the, the the operation into five smaller groups. So there was an X Men group, a Spider Man group, a Marvel Heroes group, a uh, you know Marvel Edge, which was all of the ostensibly darker characters, Ghost Rider, Punisher, uh, the whole at that point. Um, and pretty much the the the, the other like catch all epic area. Uh, and as part of that, Bob Budiansky, my boss, became the Spider Man group editor, and I was a part of that. So I went in, and suddenly I was working on and editing Spider Man comics. Um, you know, more than working on trading cards or working on licensing art. Um, and so I did that. That lasted a year. After the year, uh, there was uh, what was called Marvel Cution, where like two thirds of the staff was let go, uh, which was a great day um and uh you know all, all of the all of those separate editorial uh fiefdoms were consolidated once again under one editor-in-chief who was bob harris uh, and i survived that uh and so under bob i edited uh, comics and this is when i launched thunderbolts and then eventually was around to be part of uh, heroes return and do avengers and thor as part of that uh, and i inherited hulk at a certain point and uh you know launched other books and things and then uh you know eventually uh uh, uh you know uh, bob was replaced by joe casada and i survived all of that and <laughs> edited a bunch mm-hmm. of books with with uh, joe for years uh mm-hmm. and then you know on and on until today 
day when I edited a bunch of books uh, for Marvel. What are some of your favorite titles that you've worked on editor-wise over the years? Uh, well, the two, I mean, it's a, it's a, there've been so many, it's difficult to uh, quantify. I just bought um, a, a, a gym from Kirby Crackle, just did a, a, a a uh, uh, a Kickstarter uh, where he sold, uh, manufactured new uh, vintage-looking comic book spinner racks, uh, and so oh. I. So oh, I, uh, awesome. you know, so I contributed to that, and I bought a spinner rack, and they sent it to me, and I set it up here over in my office, and it's it's just got it's just it's now just filled with books I edited, so I can look over. I have a spinner rack full of comics that I've done over the years. Um, the two best runs, or 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 my two favorite runs, I should say. Other people can determine whether they were the best or not. There are other mm-hmm. comics I did that were very good. Um, uh, but, uh, the Mark Wade, Mike Waringo, fantastic four run, uh, hands down my favorite run, uh, and very close behind it, uh, the Dan Slott, Mike Allred, Silver Surfer that we just concluded, uh, last year. Um, but otherwise within that, I mean, I did, uh, Curtin George's Avengers. I did Brian and uh, David Finch and Steve McDivin and a lot of other guys, new Avengers. Uh, I did Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting's Captain America. I did, mm-hmm. uh, the JLA Avengers crossover. I did Thunderbolts. I did Untold Tales of Spider-Man. I've got a couple of runs on Hulk, um, I've done, uh, you know, most of the big Marvel event series of the last 15 years. So House of M, uh, I did Civil War, I did Secret Invasion, I did Siege, I did Fear Itself, I did Avengers vs. X-Men, I did Secret Wars, I did all the Jonathan run on Fantastic Four, and then the two Avengers titles. Um, you know, I, I've done a lot of comics. Uh, <laughs> That's an understatement. (laughs) Speaking of House of M, now that uh, the Disney-Fox merger is coming super close to being finalized, we're in the final stretches, would you like to see a House of M movie or trilogy or duo come out in the theaters based Um, on work you did? It would certainly be fun. I've had the good fortune um, to have seen uh, a number of films at this point that Marvel Studios made that have drawn on comics that I've done. Obviously, Winter Soldier uh, and uh, uh, Civil War, uh, and even the uh, Avengers Infinity War movie uh, used the Black Order that Jonathan Hickman and uh, Jimmy Chung and Jerome Pena, you know, uh, created uh, that I edited in just a couple of years ago. So, um, regardless of whether the Fox characters come in or not, uh, you know, a bunch of the stuff that I've worked on has ended up becoming the the fodder for huge, uh, you know, uh, multi-billion dollar movies, and that's pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, for sure I'd love to see a House of M movie. I'd, you know, I'd just be happy to see, you know, good X-Men movies and good movies where the X-Men are interacting with, uh, you know, the other uh, Marvel characters in the rest of the Marvel Universe, and the same with the FF, and the same with, the, you know, pretty much all the Marvel stuff uh, okay so i i just have to know like at at your level and like you said you've you've worked on a lot of books and you've been <laughs> in comics for almost what 30 years now a little under 30 years yeah a little under 30 years 
do you still enjoy reading or or is it you know you you're around it all the time so you you just look at it in a more of a clinical uh, I know I uh, I I go to the comic shop every week every Wednesday <laughs> every morning you know on my walk from Penn Station to Marvel I stop in in the morning at Midtown Comics on the way up and I buy my books for the week um, whatever <laughs> happens to come out that week that I'm interested in uh, and sometimes even books that I'll get for free later because I want to read them sooner. Um, I have, uh, as anybody that's, you know, followed my Twitter feed and such uh, of late has, has seen, I, I have plenty of comics. Uh, I read this stuff, uh, uh, you know, I, I read a lot. Um, so no, this is, you know, I've never lost my love for, uh, for the medium, for the form, for the characters and, you know, the characters and the stuff even beyond Marvel. I love all the DC characters. Uh, I love all the, the, you know, a lot of the various independent books. Um, I like, uh, you know, comics old and new. Uh, and I, I own and have read more comics than you have. Whoever you are, I was listening to this. <laughs> I, I have you beat, uh, with very rare exception. Well, the, I, I'm not, I'm not going to argue that point at all. Never. No, the, no. The, okay. I mean, what are some of the titles that you get each month that you, that you follow? I, I was going to wow. say, what are, what are the top three that you must read each month? Wow. I don't know if I could pick a top three because it's, 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 it's a, it's a weird sort of thing. Like I go in, I kind of, I know what's coming out every week because I'll get an update from the, the shops and the list and whatnot. Uh, and often I'll go in picking stuff up, but I'll also pick up things that just catch my eye or are of interest. Um, right now, I'm really enjoying uh, the third uh, part of the Mage trilogy, Mage the Hero Denied. Uh, very happy to see that. I was around to read the original Mage back in the, the early 80s. Uh, and so the fact that uh, Matt Wagner is finishing that trilogy up after so many years, uh, I'm, I'm super stoked about. Um, I dig Saga every, every month, which is, you know, not a surprise because every human being on earth will will point to saga as a book that they love uh and that is great um all of the uh all of the uh, the ed brubaker uh uh sean phillips titles whichever one they happen to be doing it at, at the moment uh they just wrapped up killer be killed um you know I, I love all of those um really there's a stack of stuff brian's uh brian superman i think is is uh, is real good right now and really interesting so i've been reading those uh, i haven't read this week's book so superman 2 is sitting across the room from me in a small stack with a with a few other things waiting to be read over on the weekend um and then you know a lot of a lot of older stuff too I, you know I, i'm i'm a fiend for trades and omnibuses and things and i'm one of those i'm one of those suckers that we love uh you know who will buy <laughs> the same thing a million times because mm -hmm. I like the new format. You know, I used to joke to people and now that I'm in a bigger house, we moved house about a year ago. Uh, it's no longer as true as it once was, but I used to tell people I could stand anywhere in my house and reach out my arm and pull out, you know, a copy, a reprint uh, or whatnot of Fantastic Four number one, that I had that story <laughs> in so many different formats that literally anywhere in my house it was never further than arm's reach. <laughs> Be being a fan of the vintage stuff, what is one of your favorite characters from from the past before you started with Marvel that that you've liked you liked in the Marvel universe? Okay, so you're talking about a Marvel character. Uh, yes. My favorite Marvel, my favorite Marvel character is the Thing. Uh, I think the Thing is, a, you know, Fantastic Four was always the book for me, uh, and the Thing is always kind of the character in that book. 
Um, so I, 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 I dig the thing. I, I, coming from, from you, I will accept that as an awesome answer. A great alternative, right. would, <laughs> great alternative would have been Howard the Duck. I like oh, Howard. my gosh. <laughs> I like I Howard the Duck, too, but I like Howard most when he's written by Steve Gerber. Yes. And that doesn't, that doesn't tend to happen anymore for obvious reasons. <clears throat> I, although I did, although Chip Zdarsky did a very nice job, I thought on, Chip, on Howard. Chip did a great job. Um, mm-hmm. To me, if it if it's not Steve, it, it's it's Chip. Um, I don't know who else you would give him to at this point. <laughs> I mean, I would love to see him come back. <laughs> And I would love to see who gets the reins next. Well, I don't think you always have to uh, wander too far, uh, you know, or too long between uh, Howard appearances. I know, uh, I know, Donny Cates has some some Howard related stuff coming up uh, in in some of his books uh, coming up uh, that are that are uh, weird and sort of disturbing, as most of Donny Cates are. So you can you can uh, you know you can keep an eye out for those. Oh, I will. Can, can, can you smile any bigger, Mike? That's what I want to know. Yeah, yes, I could. Well, but then again, you're, you're also talking to the guy who would pick five months in a row for a pick of the week, all new dupe. So Yes, you did. Yes. Yep, yep. Yeah. Well, I, I want to take an opportunity to thank you for, uh, or whoever you, you, that you gave the okay to, to bring out Punisher Shadow Maskers because mm-hmm. when that book when that book first came out, like I I, I got like maybe one issue of Punisher because the place where I was getting the books from didn't have the whole thing. I'm like, who are the Shadow Masters? And all of a sudden, there's this trait and it's all in one. And okay, maybe I have some repeats of their other copies somewhere, but that's okay. <laughs> but right. thank you because I'm that guy too. <laughs> Well, excellent. Again, you know, another another book that you kind of look at and go, "Why, man, I never thought they would ever collect that." Um, it's amazing the amount of stuff that's in uh, in print, uh, you know, and collected at this point that you would never have thought uh, would ever see the light of day again. Uh, would that be would, would US one be in in that uh, possibility somewhere? I, yeah, we, I said. <laughs> we haven't uh, we haven't gotten to US one yet, but that doesn't mean we won't. I have a brute force trade paper bag right here that proves that. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I wrote that I wrote that down because I as I was researching you, all of a sudden brute force came up, and I'm like, that looks cool. I don't remember that, and I'm like, well, you know what. Oh, oh darn, more comics to buy. <laughs> I collected Brute Force when it came out. So I probably still have those boxed away somewhere. And the fact that there's a trade paperback, is just, it's going to keep me smiling for the rest of the week. That's all there is to it. <laughs> wow. Okay, so... All right. So, did you how how did it feel when uh, to, when Marvel Cinematic starts to become a thing, and you start to see like part like your influence uh, show on the big screen? What was that like? Um. Well, again, that was that was very cool. Uh, you know, I will say that I'm only you know I'm one small part of the work of a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who are involved in that. So I don't, you know, even on the things that I worked on, you know, I worked on Civil War, but, you know, Mark Millar and Steve McNiven kind of did more work than I did, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I worked on Winter Soldier, but Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting kind of did more work than I did. So, um, you know, it's all like it's all super cool, but I don't feel like, oh, I am such a genius. All of my ideas, they go up on 
on the big screen, I am a font of of wonderful uh, uh, stories to be adapted or anything, you know. And and honestly, you know, the 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 Marvel Studios team, one of the things that they are clearly very good at is you know taking these dozens and hundreds of stories and distilling down the essence of those characters into two hours that you can go into if you don't know anything about who any of these people are and kind of get the essence and the sense of it. Uh, and so, uh, you know, what what I have done or the books I've worked on kind of provide a raw material there, but it's not like it's the end product. There's a huge credit roll that you see at the end of those Marvel movies while you're yeah. waiting for the post-credit scene to come. And oh my God, will it just, oh, all these people, come on, I just want to see Sam Jackson show up. Go, go, go. Um, <laughs> you know, all of those, all of those people are a part of this, you know, as as well. Um, it's a huge uh, team effort, um, and and uh, you know, those those things only work if the, the the guys overseeing them are really super good. And fortunately, they are. What's that one memorable moment where, as an editor, you've asked your creative team, you know, this isn't the direction we should go. Uh, we need to change it. And they've come back and said and really fought. No, this is a direction we need to go. Um, well, do you want are you looking for a direction where, where I fought something and then uh, they fought back and then we did it or that they fought back and then we didn't do it because <laughs> I can do both of those. OK, well, we can do that one one that. <laughs> <laughs> you you that happened and y'all did it and then the one that it didn't happen and maybe you you wish you did. Well, well, I, I'll talk about what I think is the obvious one. I've told this story many times because obviously it became very a very successful thing. But um, before uh, before I edited Captain America, uh, you know, the, before the book came over to my editorial office, um, it was in a it was in another office uh, previous to mine, uh, and there was a certain point at which, for a bunch of Byzantine reasons that I don't want to go into or can't go into because uh, they're just too complicated and they don't really matter to the story. Um, the creative team over there and the editorial team were looking at the idea of bringing Bucky back. Um, and, and I thought this was a terrible idea. Uh, and it was, it, it was, a, it was a little hotbed for a couple of days. Uh, and I remember uh, it was, and it was, uh, we were waiting for a meeting. There was going to be like an editorial staff meeting or something. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, I was, I came into the room, uh, and Joe Casada was in the room uh, and we started talking about this idea of bringing Bucky back. Uh, and I, you know, Joe was very, was very keen on it just uh, you know, on principle because he liked the fact that it was ballsy and daring and so forth. Uh, and I didn't like it any way, shape or form. Uh, and we just started like talking about it and arguing about it as we do. Uh, and we got louder and louder and louder until we were like shouting at one another, um, not in a, not in an angry way, but we were both so very passionate about our positions that it was really like the other people in the room were all rearing back going, whoa, these guys are going at it. Um, and that, uh, you know, that story never happened. Uh, you know, it didn't actually end up uh, uh, taking place. It didn't uh, come about. So, uh, you know, a few months later, Captain America was moving into my office. And, uh, you know, we knew that Ed was interested in writing Captain America because Brian was friendly with Ed. And he came to us and said, hey, I think Brubaker would really like to do Cap. Um, and, and, you know, Joe, Joe very, very gleefully... <laughs> Uh, in his devilish way, came into my office one day and said, "Yeah, I just had a, I just had a talk with Ed Brubaker. Uh, you know, he wants to bring back Bucky and Captain America." <laughs> 
and so and I went, oh, geez. So uh, you know, I I you know I, I I called it up and we got to talking and I said, you know, Ed, I have I have a bunch of concerns uh, and 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 uh, you know I need to understand how this is going to work and I you know I kind of outlined them for them. They were about you know fifteen different things. You know everything from you know how does this work? How is he still alive? How does nobody know that he's still alive? How do these survive all this time how is he not an 80 year old man how you know and 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 but but also more crucially how does how do we in bringing him back how do we get more and better than what we have with him dead because with him dead he's the tragedy of steve rogers life he survives and his partner does not uh, and that's such a quintessential thing yeah once you're past the shock value of gas bucky's back what do you get that's more than what you lose and ed went away and took about a week week and a half uh, to think about this and he called me back up and he said okay i think i've got this all figured out and he walked me down through the story and answered all of the 15 or so questions that i had and i kind of went all right well i guess we're doing this <laughs> uh, and then and then uh, you know we did it we did the winter soldier story uh, and I remember uh, right before uh, uh, the sixth issue came out, which I think was the issue that confirmed, yeah, that dude's that that, that dude who looks like Bucky, that's Bucky. Uh, you know, Ed was on the phone with me at one point and was was like, I don't know if we should have done this. <laughs> like he was he was suddenly very nervous that the fans were going to eat him alive, um, but but only for a second. Um, and and obviously, you know, it all worked out. Uh, uh, you know, uh, people were were dug it. They were on the ride, Bucky. Uh, uh, became a, a big part of the Marvel Universe as the Winter Soldier, uh, still a viable character that we use all over the place, and, you know, the basis for a couple of really good Marvel movies. So, you know, that's an instance where, uh, you know, I could be talked into something, and, and it, it worked out. Um, so, so you know, that kind of thing, uh, uh, you know, happens. I try, I try to tell the creators that I work with that, uh, you know, uh, I can be convinced of just about anything, but there's this this line from uh, from the West Wing that I quote a, I quote a lot to them, which is uh, you know if I'm not convinced, it's because you didn't convince me. Um, so so uh, you know really the onus if you want to do something, you've got to convince me that what you're what you're proposing is is going to work uh, and and uh, you know get me to a place where I'm comfortable and confident in it, or I'm not going to okay it. I'm not going to green light it, but I'm willing to talk about anything and I'm willing to articulate here's why i don't think such and such an idea works you know the the quintessential idea like this and this comes up um you know once a year i would say somebody proposes this some version of this story which is it's the situation in which his back is to the wall and things are so desperate and stuff is just at such a a, a critical point that spider-man has no choice but to kill whoever the hell he's fighting uh, and everybody you know or, or a bevy of everybody everybody always wants to do that story like you know because it's you know it's taboo and it's it's it, it, you know it feels dangerous and, you know, always the question is, OK, but then what? Like, what do you get out of this afterwards? What's the rest of the story? And, you know, for years, nobody's ever been able to answer that question well enough 
to get us to go ahead and do that story because the fact that Spider-Man doesn't kill people is such a fundamental part of that character. You'd better have a damn good, uh, 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 you know, follow-through before you're going to convince me to do that story. Okay, what? so what is the weirdest or, or most outlandish story a pitch that you have gotten that you can remember? Uh, you don't have to name any names and embarrass people, although, you know, hey, that would be cool. But still, uh, just just the most, I can't believe somebody actually threw that out there. Wow. Moment. Um, um... <laughs> I almost don't want to say. Oh, no. <laughs> I almost don't want to say, you know, only because the first thing that comes to mind is something that is relatively recent. And because it's so recent, I almost don't want to don't want to touch on it. Um, but, uh, 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 you know, I, I'm trying to remember one that, that goes back further. So it's not you know, <laughs> such a sensitive thing. And, you know, people don't listen to this and go, oh, you're you're calling out my pitch on, on, on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, well, but, the, but really, there's like with the there's recent one. one just, do I need yeah. to prepare a Snickers bar? <laughs> you, uh, you, you you might you might indeed. Um, <laughs> let me think. Oh, is it, boy, there really is nothing that compares. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, oh goodness! I opened um, a can of worms here. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, honestly, you know, putting that aside because it's recent. Um, you know, most of the the pitches that are are ridiculous and absurd and crazy and don't happen. I tend to forget about because they don't happen. Uh, and I don't, you know, my brain is is crammed full of comic book information. I know more, uh, you know, and remember more about the Marvel Universe and the minutia of the history and so forth than most people. Uh, but consequently, that means that stuff like that tends to fall out of my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you ask any of my assistants, they'll, they'll say, oh, they'll remind me of something. Oh, you remember when they, you know, so-and-so pitched that. And then I'll remember it at that point, but I could never call it up on my own because uh you know those brain cells are busy with with other things um but but yes there certainly people have pitched some some bizarre and weird uh and and uh, undoable uh stories mm-hmm. uh but uh i you know i'm, I'm not going to talk about the recent one and i can't <laughs> i can't come up with a good enough one from the past that would make for a good anecdote here <laughs> okay then um failing uh, is putting aside the bucky is winter soldier one are there any pitches that stand out in your mind as they just completely surprise you as to how well they took off? It's kind of like you're going like, okay, well, this is this is going to stink, but we'll we'll try it anyway. And it's like, oh, well, that went like hotcakes. Um, well, every once in a while, you know, something will happen and we'll we'll catch fire. Um, you know, it's not a thing that I'm I'm working on currently or really connected to, but uh, you know, Donny Cates in his Thanos run just introduced the cosmic ghost rider which is mm-hmm. a bananas character it's he's he's frank castle but he's dead in the spirit of vengeance oh and also he's the herald of galactus and you know when you just write that sentence down none of that should work at all <laughs> Mm-hmm. And yet somehow, not only did it work, but it was popular enough that now, you know, it's been spun off and there's a Cosmic Ghost Rider limited series. And, you know, people are interested in this, you know, uh, uh, you know crazy version of this character. Um, so that kind of thing does happen all the time. You know, we have a... Uh, you know, we have a Gwenpool series almost entirely based on there was a cover... <laughs> 
that was done that got a lot of reaction and, uh, you know, people went, hey, maybe we should do something with this. Um, Spider-Gwen was an, you know, a, a, a one-shot, 11-page Spider-Verse story that people really dug and, and we went, hey, let's, I guess we maybe we should do more of this because people really liked it. I mean, ultimately, the, the, the final arbiters really are, are, are you guys, are the, are the fans. If you, if you come out and, and, you know, buy something and like something and, you know, you really make it catch fire, we're, we're very simple folk. We we go where the money is, uh, you know. We, whatever you want, if you buy a lot of it, if we sell a lot of it, we will make more. Because um, because uh, uh, you know we uh, we we like to we 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 like to sell comics and we like to make money. Um, so those are like a couple of examples, you know, more recent examples, again, like right off the top of my head of things that like you would never have thought that was going to work. Uh, and it and it did. Since, since you mentioned uh, Spider-Gwen, um, I know for my daughter's sake, because she's a Spider-Gwen fan at the age of eight, soon to be nine. Um, can you give some clarification on what's going on with the Spider-Gwen, Ghost Spider, Spider-Woman naming for this particular Gwen Stacy, I can. Uh, what I can tell you is, all of that will become clear uh, in the the Spider Geddon storyline and the the, the Spider Gwen Ghost Spider uh, uh, book that's coming out as a part of that. Um, so I don't want to I don't want to give away, particularly given that it's not a story that again that I'm directly editing. Nick Lowe oversees all the Spidey titles, uh, and so I don't know how much. Uh, they've let out yet, or I don't want to spoil anything that's not mine to spoil. Um, okay. So, you know, what I what I can say is, uh, you know, those answers are all coming. They're all a part of the larger Spider Geddon uh, story and the the Spider Gwen uh, Ghost Spider series that's that's running as a part of that. Uh, and hopefully, uh, uh, people will uh, will dig it. All right. So, I, I wanted to go back to something that you were talking about uh, back when you were working with special projects. Uh, is there a super pro toy laying around anywhere? <laughs> uh, no, no, there is not. There I'm is just no curious, not that I would want it. I'm just curious because I have to. Admit, oh, you, to oh, see- you want it? You oh, want? Uh- it. <laughs> well, I mean, oh. after seeing GI Joe, was it uh, uh, Rise of Cobra? They were in those suits, and I'm like, oh my god, that's a super pro suit. <laughs> and I, I'm just saying, you know, and it stuck in my head, and I was like, you brought up super pro, and I'm like, well, let's yep. see. Yep, yep. So, nope, nope. Sorry, no, no licensing was ever done for NFL Super Pro. <laughs> sad, sad, but true. <laughs> What was oh. the what's the one licensing? I don't remember if we brought it up, so I apologize. Was there one licensing that that you were working on, or y- y'all have been working on even through <laughs> now that you wanted to get out that it just never happened? Um, I I you know, again I don't know. In that you don't really work on the license until you have the license. Uh, you know, if you know what I mean. Right. Uh, you know, certainly certainly you know there have been times where um you know right around the time that we uh you know. Uh, uh, pitched and got the rights from Stephen King to do Dark Tower. Uh, you know, we made a presentation to try to get uh, Harry Potter, uh, and uh, you know, it didn't happen. So it would have been nice to be able to do Harry Potter, and maybe someday that'll be a, a thing that uh, you know we can adapt into graphic novels the way we did the Dark Tower. Um, but you know, again, typically it's not something that even you you think about too much because that sort of thing tends to start with the with the deal first. You know, we don't start making Star Wars comics until we know. 
oh, we're going to have the license to make Star Wars comics again. Um, so, so uh, you know, certainly there are there are different things. We don't we don't do as much licensing these days as we did in years past. You know, we've been doing a little bit more uh, uh, lately. Um, uh, you know, and and I expect you know we'll, we'll probably continue to dabble in that area and and uh, you know do some things here and there to to you know expand our our range and our our catalog. You know, certainly the fact that uh, you know Conan is coming back to Marvel is a big exciting thing. Uh, and feels, you know, again, it feels very much, uh, you know, like a, piece, a missing piece of Marvel uh, because that character was so associated with Marvel for so many years in the 70s and 80s. Um, and so, but even there, like when Conan was 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 gone, um, you know, certainly you'd look at it every once in a while and go, boy, it really would be nice to have Conan back. But you didn't have Conan, so you you, you didn't do anything. Now that we have Conan back, we're going to be working, you know, real hard to do excellent Conan books. Um, so, uh, you know, like, again, that, that, that's just, uh, you know, a couple of sort of examples, but, um, you know, I can't, uh, I can't think of anything specific that's like, again, apart from that one Harry Potter example where, oh, we, we, you know, put on a, a big dog and pony show and then it didn't happen. Um, at least that I was, you know, involved with or around the edges of other people may have uh, over the years and probably did. It just wasn't anything that, that, you know, got onto my radar, you know, to the point where I'd be, uh, you know, wanting to, to work on it and then it wouldn't happen. Okay. If you could go back and resurrect any old series, any old title that uh, hadn't been seen in a while, what would it be? You know, I get that question a lot. Because it seems like a like an interesting question, uh, and and but for for me the you know it's not that interesting because the the, the answer to that is I can do that <laughs> if 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 I want to do you know tomorrow I go gee I I I I gotta I just gotta uh, hanker in to do Crystal Crystal Warrior or I got an idea for that I can actually go and pretty much have a better than average chance. Of turning that into a comic, so it's you know I'm I'm at a different place than most most people who you would ask that to who would say like I really love this thing again unless it's something that Marvel doesn't have you know I'd really like to do Batman doesn't help me a whole lot being where I am um, you know or or I really you know I really would like to work on Spawn uh, you know it doesn't help me but in terms in terms of of like you know Marvel stuff. Um, you know, if I if, if if there's something, you know, that 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 I like or something I think had potential on, um, you know, the whole reason that there's a there's a squirrel girl book is because one day I went, oh, I want to do a squirrel girl book. I think we should do a squirrel girl book. And I ended up not doing it. Like I I, I, I started the ball rolling uh, and Will Moss, who was an editor that worked under me, got really excited about it and started to pitch. Oh, and here's who should write it. Here's who should draw it. And at a certain point, I kind of went, yeah, you're really doing this book. I'm not doing this book. Um, but it, 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 but, but it, but it, but it worked out great. Um, so, you know, even something as, as obscure as Squirrel Girl, I can make it a comic if I want to, as long as I've got a halfway decent idea and I can convince the other people up at Marvel that, hey, we can do this. We can try it. We cannot lose money. Uh, we can make money and potentially, you know, we can do something that's great and that really, uh, you know, expands the range of, of what we what we do. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, that was Weird World. I did Weird World as part of 
uh, Secret Wars with uh, Jason Aaron and Mike Del Mundo, uh, and then after that with uh, Sam Humphreys and Mike. Um, and while that, you know, as a series, isn't the book that that comes out every month, uh, Weird World as an as an environment in the Marvel universe is something that we keep going back to, and like it's a little playground that 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 stories happen in. And over the next six months, there's two or three different stories where characters are interacting with with Weird World. So, um, you know, these kinds of things where you know there's stuff from the past that I that I that I like. Um, you know, uh, I can always touch that stuff again. Um, the weirdest part of it is I've been around long enough that I can actually bring back stuff I did in the first place. <laughs> because it's old enough now where I can go, oh, we should do a Deathlock book. They're doing Deathlock on the Shield show. We should do a Deathlock book, and I can start another Deathlock book, uh, you know, 20-some-odd years after I ended the Deathlock in the 90s. Um, so, like I say, it sounds like, and it is a really good question for most people. For me, though, it's a you know, it's a it's a zero sum game because any impulse I have, if I if I thought of something this afternoon, I already had a conversation about it. It's it's going to be a comic, and I'm not ready to tell you about it yet because um, we're not ready to roll it out, or um, I haven't thought of it yet, or it hasn't hit me. And if it hits me here or hits me after we're done now, that'll be what I do tomorrow. So when does Razorback get his limited series? Then? <laughs> It's it's funny. I was thinking about Razorback just last week, which doesn't mean he's getting a limited series, but it does mean I was thinking about him. So maybe he'll turn up somewhere, or maybe <laughs> or maybe an intrepid trio one shot, you know, to go with the Ages of Shield. Maybe <laughs> just throwing it out there. I don't know. No, just saying. Perhaps it, 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 anything anything is possible. Some things are <laughs> some things are more possible than others, but. <laughs> Somebody has to be on the bottom rung of the shield funding ladder. Might as well be <laughs> us. That's what well, we're saying, yo. How how cool would it be to make the above ground underwater suborbital volcano lair Marvel cannon? <laughs> I'm working on it in Lego. <laughs> I mean, you know, you you do have the whole um, what Tag and Binks, and you know their thing. People love all yep, that in yep, Star Wars yep. first. Yeah, we we could kind of like be the whole Tag and Binks of Shield because you know they have to have it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you see, uh, guys, uh, Marvel Marvel doesn't accept any unsolicited submissions. It's part of the policy. So I really. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, I gotta cut this off right now. <laughs> my, my, my legal team is getting very worried. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, um, man! Now with recent events, we've we've had the whole new numbering, old numbering, renumbering. Can you explain? Um, the the theory or or what's going on with the new numbering and the legacy numbering? Um. Well. I think the you know the the theory is this. I mean, it's it's it's. I think it will come as no shock uh, that uh, number ones tend to sell well. Um, it gives people a place to to know that they can start. Uh, it's the beginning of a story, a run, a creative team, a, a whatever, a new refresh. Um, number ones work. They always have in comics. Uh, and, you know, as I said earlier, we like to sell comics. Um, so we do number ones an awful lot. That having been said, you know, there's certainly a vocal contingent of fans who really like those, the original unbroken numbering, particularly on the books that go all the way back to the 60s. 
Um, and so, uh, you know, going into Marvel Legacy, you know, hearing from that 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 audience and those those uh, those fans that like that was a thing that really spoke to them. We thought, okay, we've done a lot of number ones over the years. Let's try doing it the other way. Let's try, you know, rolling it out with six ninety fives and thirty sevens and one hundred and eighty fours. Um, and we did that, and it turns out that number ones work better. <laughs> Um, so, 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 you know, what we're trying, we're, so we're, but we're trying now to kind of, uh, you know, Solomon-like split the baby, which is why, you know, most of the older books that you see now have a secondary number on them, the legacy number, mm-hmm. so that while Amazing Spider-Man, you know, that, that, you know, that just came out is, is number three, it's also got a legacy number of 804 on it. So maybe it's a little easier for people to understand uh, where that book fits in, you know, within the larger history and canon of, of Spider-Man. It's not going to make everybody happy. Uh, and, and the last time we tried doing this 15 years ago, we screwed those numbers up constantly, <laughs> which is why we stopped doing it. Uh, we could not we could not keep track of two numbers at once. We're not that bright. Um, and and uh, and we fouled up a bunch of them. But so far, so good. Um, and it's, a, you know, it's a way to reflect the fact that a book like Amazing Spider-Man or Avengers or Daredevil or the Hulk have this long history of hundreds of issues, um, but still allow people to know, OK, here's a here's a starting point. Here's the beginning of a run. Here's where you get in and for us to get the advantages of a number one, because, uh, you know, there's no denying it. Number ones sell better. Right. And uh, is that what you did with uh, Fantastic Four, uh, number one? I I, I I was a good Marvel fan, and I bought Mar- uh, I did buy Fantastic Four, number one, but I'm busy, so I hadn't had a chance to read it yet. So, so did you do that with uh, Fantastic Four as well? Yes. Yeah, Fantastic Four, number one. If you if you uh, look at it, it's also uh, got the legacy number of 646. Uh, wow. Which means 650 is a issue five big big doings to come in issue five or issue 650 wow okay <laughs> so look for that in december well i will <laughs> there's been so much covered i think we're all in a regroup going what's <laughs> <Yeah>. next <laughs> i'm just trying to get called up from the intro i mean you, i mean this is probably the most inside that we've been because uh, we we've interviewed several people from marvel but I mean, this is like the most insight that we've gotten, you know, and so to hear, you know, that for something, for a story as iconic as Winter Soldier, you were against Bucky, which I told when I first heard that they were talking about bringing back Bucky, I'm like, wait, there are certain people who are always supposed to be dead and Bucky's one of them. And then. And then to know that you were like, I well, why we're doing this? And then, you know, now I'm sitting with Winter Soldier in my bookcase because you got convinced. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, you know, a good story, uh, you know, and the right creative team can can make anything work. You know, a good other kind of good example of that was uh, Young Avengers. You know, when we said we were going to do, we announced mm-hmm. Young Avengers, everybody in the world went, oh, Young Avengers, that's the, that's the worst idea ever. 
that that and and you know in fact you know we did ads i put ads together myself in issues of avengers that that basically said they're not what you think uh, and when that book mm-hmm. came out suddenly people were like hey this is actually pretty cool we like this mm-hmm. um so so and and that you know like on a dime that that turned everybody around or a lot of people around from that's the dumbest idea ever to why don't you publish more of those young avengers that we liked so much <laughs> um, so so you know it really comes down to having you know excellent creative talent and having the right idea and the right creators uh you know to be able to bring those ideas to fruition and you know my job is being is 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 being able to find those people and put them together in the right way and help them uh figure out what those stories can be uh and uh, you know we 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 foul that up as often as we get it right you know we remember all the the ones that work and the ones that don't work you know go away after a few issues and then 20 years later we bring them back again and try again with them uh mm-hmm. and that's just you know that's that's part of the process you know people uh you know, some some folks you know will decry like oh that book only lasted so long or oh what a disaster that was no no no, no. that's all part of the process you know in the same way that uh you know on 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 television uh you know you start a season and a bunch of shows come out and a bunch of them go away and they're replaced by other shows and other shows and you know certain shows run for years and certain shows go three episodes and they're done uh, and every once in a while the show will go away and then it'll come back on another network or years later on netflix or or whatever um, it's the same kind of thing. Um, there's no, uh, uh, you know, there's no uh, uh, shame in in trying something that doesn't work because you never know what what value there's going to be to some of this stuff, you know months and even years later um you know squirrel girl is a very good example of that squirrel girl was a one-shot character in one throwaway inventory iron man story that saw print in a marvel comics uh marvel superheroes anthology uh, and that character was really disliked at a certain point uh you know you know made fun of and 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 ridiculed because it was such an absurd idea and now today because people with the right take and the right angle on what to do with that character have made the 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 book a success uh, and now there's 3 million squirrel girl cosplayers and there's you know there's there's t-shirts and action figures and bobbleheads and she's going to be in animation and like that's you know that's a huge thing so this thing that in you know whatever it was 1993 people went oh that's the dumbest idea ever is now you know a, a big success you know going back to the earliest days of marvel the hulk was canceled in six issues failure uh you know x-men was canceled in 66 issues failure um you know ant-man uh was you know constantly being retooled until it was canceled in 1966 failure and yet all of these things clearly were not failures. They were successes for whom the time just wasn't right yet, or the combination of elements were just not in the right place yet. Uh, and clearly, I mean, it is sort of miraculous that there's not one but two Ant-Man movies. Uh, and and literally nobody, forget about like 1966, nobody in 2006 would have believed that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we look at it and just go, of course, you know, Paul Rudd, Ant-Man, right, of course. Um, so, so, you know, uh, this is all part of the process of, 
you know, coming up with these ideas and trying to execute them well. And if there's a good enough idea in there, you know, eventually somebody will will look at it and turn it around and turn it over and find the way to make it click. You know, Cosmic Ghost Rider. Uh, you know, what a weird recipe, but damned if it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. Man. Now, I want to ask, how? what's your thoughts of the whole digital comic uh, trend, and how do you feel it's affecting um, being an audio engineer? I'll just go with the term analog product that's <laughs> out in the stores. Um, I think digital. I, I, first of all, I like digital, and I like digital because digital lets you reach an, an audience um, who uh, most likely are not coming, at least initially, to comic shops every week. It's a different audience, and we can see that pretty clearly based on uh, you know what we see sells uh, in digital, how it sells in digital, um, and and the, the the long tail on that, and what things work better in digital than might on uh, you know in, in a printed comic. Uh, you know there was a lot of fear and a lot of concern, justifiably so, when you know not just Marvel but everybody started doing digital releases for their for their books. That oh this was going to be the end of of uh, you know tangible print publishing and everything was going to go digital and Comic shops were going to close and so forth. And none of that has proven to be true. If anything, uh, you know, digital uh, has provided another potential feeder market for the, 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 you know, the direct market comic shop audience. Because if you can hook people there digitally, and it's a lot easier for somebody to hear about something that's going on in the world of publishing, uh, you know, whether it's an X-Men wedding or a Batman wedding, and, you know, pick up their, their device, their tablet, and press a button and, you know, digitally pay, uh, you know, a price and have the, the thing downloaded to them than it is for them to find their way to uh, a comic shop in their area if they happen to have one in their area as opposed to, you know, dozens or hundreds of miles away and go and get that thing. Um, you know, so that's a very, uh, uh, you know... Uh, a, a very beautiful thing to have uh, available, uh, and it's as I say, it's a different audience. You can advertise and you can market to that audience in a completely different way than you have to through the direct market stores. Uh, and once somebody kind of gets hooked on the characters or on the material in that digital world, they tend to seek out more. You know, very often you hear the story of I read it digitally and then I bought the collection. And whether I bought the collection mm-hmm. through through Amazon or whether I bought the collection by going to a bookstore or whether I bought the collection by going to uh, a brick and mortar comic book shop, you know, people do that because they want the tangible thing. If they loved it, they want it. And they want to know, they want to see more. They want to, they want to get the whole thing. Um, so I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great sort of virgin feeder market. It's the equivalent of what the, you know, what we used to think of as the newsstand uh, used to be back in the day, uh, where you have the potential of, of attracting the, end, the the attention of a much more casual uh, audience and bringing them into the fold and making them regular comic book readers. At, at one point after the digital market um, looked to be profitable or successful and not going away anytime soon, did you guys come up with the thought of the Marvel Unlimited? Um, the Marvel Unlimited, and I don't know exactly who came up with it, but clearly it's it's worked out pretty well. Uh, and it's essentially, you know, it's it's Marvel Netflix. That's really all it is, was going, you know, it's like Netflix for comics. Here's all the comics in one place for, uh, you know, a monthly or yearly fee. Um, and, uh, you know, again, like, it, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a usually great service if you want to read a lot of comics 
products and you want to have access to a lot of them very easily. Uh, and, and the audience for it, you know, it started off slow and it's just been growing year after year ever since as people realize what a good deal it is, how much material is there, uh, the mm-hmm. fact that new stuff is con- constantly coming in. Uh, and the downside of it, which is, you know, it takes about six months or so for a new book to show up there. You know, if you if you got to have it that week, well, one, you're going to buy just buy it digitally ordinarily or you're going to or you're going to go to your, your store. Um, but if you can wait like you're a trade waiter or, you, or, you know, you don't need it right that moment, it's going to be there. And, you know, it's a it's a almost unlimited buffet. Read as many comics as you want for that monthly or yearly fee, um, you mm-hmm. know, like on, like on Netflix, watch as much stuff as you want as long as you pay the bill uh when it comes in every 30 days um right so it really is you know the equivalent sort of thing and it's 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 been great there are there are so many people that just you know you know when i go to conventions and things you know that come up and say how much they really love the fact that they can go and get all this stuff and and sample around and try something that they might not otherwise have looked at because it's free and it's right there and uh, you know, if they've heard some chatter about either some old story or a character or, hey, there's going to be a Punisher TV show. What's the Punisher about? Let me take a look at some books. Um, it makes it super easy for people. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, again, it's been it's been a, a, a very successful little program. Well, ho- hopefully a, a podcast that you may or may not be on right now ha- has helped as well with our weekly Marvel Unlimited picks of the week. Uh, for sure. For sure. So, I mean, <laughs> thank, 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 thank you very much. Oh. We we figured you know it's a great resource. Not only do we do picks of the week of what's coming up the new comic book day the following week, but we yeah. also recommend something from the past that's in in the MU to uh, to recommend. Well, see, I think that's I think that's excellent. I think that's a great way for people to you know have some guidance uh, in terms of like this huge mass that is all the you know these published works in the Marvel universe. It can be very difficult for somebody coming in to know where to start or what to look at first. So the fact that you guys will give recommendations or talk about a particular story uh, or a particular series that was noteworthy and, you know, that, 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 that you think was worthwhile, I think that's probably a big help for people. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I can just say from a from a personal standpoint that I've really enjoyed the product. I got it. Uh, I got it when I got to join the podcast here. And it's kind of like, where has this thing been all my life? Oh, wait, <laughs> it's been right here on the phone. Right, right. <laughs> well, uh, and I, I, I believe I got it uh, when I joined the podcast. And one of the features that I really like about it is that uh, they could take something like, uh, like, uh, like a, a major story arc, and and even though if it's a, even though it may span over different comics, it puts it all in one place for you. So. Um, Say you know, as, as I'm reading, and I, I may be reading Daredevil, but then uh, the story continues in Luke Cage. I can read that. Then maybe I need to hop back over to Daredevil, but then the next one takes place in Defenders. You know, I, instead of me having to go search all that, it does that for me, and that just makes makes the reading reading experience that much more enjoyable because I don't have to do the legwork. It's doing it for me. Right. Again, it's sort of like getting you know trade paper. Like if we collected, uh, you know, a storyline, the Evolutionary War or something that ran through, you know, a dozen titles, you know, you get it all in one book. So, you know, doing that or arranging that stuff digitally in the same sort of way 
just makes makes a lot of sense, and it doesn't take a particular. It just takes somebody to actually do it. Uh, it doesn't take any any particular extra work to make that happen. Well, we're coming close to the end of this issue. Um, what are some final thoughts you could give? To our Marvel listening or Marvel reading, mighty Marvel geeks listening audience. Uh, well, I, uh, you know, I would uh, thank everybody for, uh, you know, the interest and the support over all the years. Um, you know, we're, we're happy that we've been able to, uh, you know, make an impact on your lives and that you've uh, spent time with us and the, the stories that we've created. Uh, and we'll, uh, you know, try and strive every month uh, to uh, do more stories that will, uh, you know, engage you and enthrall you and amaze you and, and bring you back, uh, you know, and, and uh, wanting more uh, the next month. Uh, you know, we we, uh, we work damn hard at it uh, every uh, every month, every week, uh, you know, to make the best stuff that we can, uh, because really, uh, you know, the Marvel fans are the best fans that they are. And, uh, you know, once you're a real Marvel fan, you're kind of a Marvel fan. And for life, uh, even if you go away because, you know, something else comes up in your life or whatnot, you know, inevitably, eventually, everybody kind of comes back to Marvel. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a great community of people uh, and we love uh, each and every one of you. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, we want to thank Tom for taking the time out and, and joining us this week. It's definitely been our pleasure having you on. Um, and we can't wait to see what's coming next from Marvel. Oh, no. I... So uh, <laughs> on that note, um, there's only one thing we could ask. And Jarvis, if you would, please. All wrapped up here, sir. Will there be anything else? Nope. Just time to go dark. So, Conan, I cannot believe that Conan is finally coming back to Marvel. I'm so excited. You can talk, too, you know. (laughs) I think Tom's digging the music. Oh, there you go. Never get between a man and his jam. That's what I say. You know, sometimes sometimes this song plays through my head when I'm at work and I got that walk going. (laughs) And that part, right as you walk into your office door. Yes. (laughs) 